Greetings and welcome to HPNA's Podcast Corner, your place for hospice and palliative nursing continual learning. Thank you for joining today's education. Thank you for joining us for episode 16. Returning to the studio today is our podcast co-host, Dr. Heather Coates, Director of Research for HPNA, along with our guests, Dr. Shannon Zink and Dr. Jerry Miller from the National Institute of Nursing Research whose mission is to promote and improve the health of individuals, families, and communities. Our topic today is NINR and addressing health inequities across communities and end-of-life and palliative care research. Let's kick things off with Dr. Zink and Dr. Miller with hearing more about their roles within the NINR. Thank you, Julie. I'm delighted to join you today for this podcast. Uh, I want to thank Virginia Marshall, the CEO, and everyone else at HPNA for the invitation. I joined NIH and NINR as its third permanent director about six months ago in September of 2020. And while this is certainly a very unique time in our history and in our lives, it's really been special and inspiring to be part of an organization working round the clock to help the United States and the entire world navigate uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. For those listeners who aren't familiar with uh, the National Institute of Nursing Research or NINR, we're one of 27 institutes at the National Institutes of Health We support nursing research across the country. And as um, you mentioned, Julie, our mission is to improve the health of individuals, families, and communities. Thank you, Dr. Zink. And we can turn the the mic over to Dr. Miller if you could share with us something about your role. Thank you, Julie. And hello to everyone in the listening audience. I am just delighted to participate in this podcast with Dr. Zink, Dr. Coates, and all of you in HPNA. For so many years, HPNA has been a very strong community of collaboration with NINR for research and end of life and palliative care. That to me, it's a real privilege to be part of this conversation today, so hello. So I joined the NIH intramural program as a postdoctoral student way back in 1999. And then I continued as an appointed NIH intramural scientist until 2008, when I then joined the NINR. In 2009, the Institute took the steps to strengthen the role of nursing research in leading end-of-life and palliative care science across the NIH, which resulted in the establishment of the Office of -of End-of-Life and Palliative Care Research, where I remain the chief and where so many HPNA researchers and clinicians continue to support and participate in our NINR research and training initiatives. We have had so much value from the research in the hospice and palliative care arena that has been uh, studied and released through the NINR. And we are all thankful for for the mission that you're offering us to help us improve patient care. So thank you both Dr. Zink and Dr. Miller for the work that you're doing and the importance that we have of that work being available to those of us in the field that are, that are providing that care. So with a, with a focus on nursing research, uh, Dr. Zink, this will be for you. Share with us what your research interests are. Thanks, Julie. Um, I'm interested in 
community environments as a social determinant of health. Social determinants are the conditions in which people are born, live, work, play, and age. And over the past 20 years, I've had the privilege of engaging with a number of colleagues in this area of research. So we've studied the role of community environments and health and health disparities, how community environments may alter the effectiveness of healthcare interventions, and also uh, what policies and community investments are effective in improving health and then eliminating racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic health disparities. When I look back, um, I'm particularly proud of our work on food deserts, which helped bring national attention to the problem of inadequate access to healthy foods in low-income communities of color which was such valuable research that has been done and hopefully continues to be built upon um, with the, the community access. I would really love to hear more about your research with the food deserts. And this information can be available to our podcast listeners um, through our link at the site if you're, you're interested in getting more information about that important research from Dr. Zink and her team. So how has your experience, Dr. Zink, as a nurse informed your work and your career, career path as a nursing researcher? I think there's been a number of things over the years. Um, early on as a student, I spent a summer at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. And I have really vivid memories of several patients I spent time with there. And I also remember being really impressed with the care environment. Um, to me, the commitment of the nurses and the quality of patient care were really outstanding. And it was also just really exciting to see how research was such an integral part of what went on on a daily basis um, at MD Anderson. So as I went along, I um, finished school and I started working uh, as a nurse in home health care. And that's when I woke up to the relevance of communities uh, for health. As your listeners know very well, as a home health nurse case manager, I visited patients in their homes, typically after a hospitalization. And as I spent time in patients' homes and in different communities, I was struck by the tremendous differences in the home environment and community environments of the patients in my caseload. There was a stark contrast of patients' conditions of daily life, both in terms of privilege and poverty, and the impact that those living conditions seemed to have on patients' health became really evident to me. I found it difficult to talk to some patients, for example, about healthy eating when what they really needed to restore their health was far more fundamental. Having enough to eat, decent and stable housing, reliable electricity, and a safe environment. And I imagine those listening today can relate to my experience. That's when I became interested in learning more about how resources were distributed across communities and the implications of that for people's health and health disparities. So that career passion starting at MD Anderson in Houston through today has to be remarkable, Dr. Zink, to look back on, on the contributions that, that that work has made and your work and your commitment. What do you think uh, is nursing science's role 
in addressing what you had referenced in, in health inequalities and inequities. What's the role of nursing science there? We have an essential role. A hallmark of nursing is to me, the holistic perspective that we bring to health and healthcare. Nurses have long understood that supporting people to promote their health and restore their health after illness means addressing needs at multiple levels, physical, emotional, social, and economic, and creating supportive environments, systems, policies, and practice. So I think it's this holistic perspective that ideally positions nursing science to bridge science and healthcare delivery with the realities of people's lives and living conditions or uh, what we refer to as social determinants of health. It positions nursing well to bring together understanding of health determinants from the molecular to the macro and to create integrative solutions spanning clinical and community approaches as well as to translate research into nursing practice and policy solutions. Fundamentally, nursing science solves problems and is responsive to the health landscape. For example, we're talking today amid the backdrop of a worldwide pandemic that has highlighted the challenges of caring for patients while health systems and providers are frankly stretched thin. The pandemic has emphasized the consequences of systemic social inequalities with racial and ethnic minority populations, you know, shouldering the worst of COVID's burden. Disparities in COVID-19 mortality rates we know have been linked to socioeconomic factors and living conditions such as crowding and segregation, greater likelihood of working and in service industry jobs that increase exposure to the coronavirus, limited access to healthcare, and unfortunately, clinician biases that affect how providers perceive and communicate with patients of color, possibly delaying coronavirus di diagnosis and affecting treatment. Now we know unequal outcomes though aren't unique to COVID. It's been well documented uh, that pain is not treated as aggressively in non-white populations, for example. And a recent NINR funded paper argues that engaging palliative care early in patient care may help close racial gaps in coronavirus outcomes and that incorporating goals of care communication tools and training across settings and specialties may improve outcome disparities among Black Americans with COVID-19. So this is just one example of addressing inequities. We as nurses and nurse scientists can do more in all these areas to end disparities. Thank you, Dr. Zink. And that brings up a really good point since you've introduced the, the COVID-19 and the impact there. And Dr. Miller, I would like to get your thoughts on this related to COVID-19. What do you think that the pandemic has taught us about palliative and end-of-life care. Well, first, on behalf of all of the NINR community, we want to express our gratitude to the hospice and palliative nurses who are tirelessly caring for individuals, their families, and their communities in these extraordinary times. Serious illness, end-of-life, grief, and loss, they're all now part of the national pandemic dialogue. We want you to know that your work is indispensable and we are truly grateful. So, you know, 
when the pandemic struck, there were no evidence-based guidelines for managing the complexities of COVID-19. And so many of you helped to quickly formulate practice guidelines, not just for nursing, but for other providers who had to step in, many without training in this field, that they had to address complex uh, symptom management as well as end-of-life care. The pandemic, I think, has accentuated the need to build an evidence base that will guide all providers with practice standards, not just now, but also as we think about potential pandemics in the future. I think the pandemic has also been a real solemn reminder of the inequities in access to COVID testing, tracing, and vaccination, but also to the inequities in accessing palliative and hospice care. We've, we've been reminded of our commitment of palliative care for everyone, everywhere, and that this care must occur while we honor an individual's values, preferences, and beliefs for goal-concordant care. And these, to me, are essential values that are part of the DNA of hospice palliative nursing. So our research needs to continue to develop innovative solutions to address so many of these complexities inequities and barriers that have been identified in the pandemic and that are really contributing to the staggering losses in our communities even today. And finally, the, the visiting restrictions that were imposed by COVID-19 have really pushed hospice and palliative providers to embrace the use of technology such as telehealth in order to maintain patient caregiver contact and their access to your care. But this has really challenged our traditional practices of how to best use technology while still preserving that human connection that's really so important for those who are seriously ill and as death nears. We really are a nation in mourning and COVID has affected not only bereaved families and friends, but also providers such as yourselves, support workers, and the wider health and social care system. So research must continue to explore how these innovative technologies can be used effectively in multiple health systems and with differing providers, but also while ensuring compassionate hospice and palliative care. So with, with that reflection, looking through the lens that we've seeing what the pandemic has taught us and brought to light. What research areas do you think are even more important now in, in light of that lens and the experience that we've seen with COVID-19? Dr. Miller? So NINR has joined the NIH in unprecedented research funding opportunities that have been related to the pandemic. And I'd just like to share with you a few. NINR has joined calls for digital healthcare interventions that will address secondary health effects related to social, behavioral, and economic impacts of COVID. We've joined calls for research strategies and interventions to address vaccine hesitancy, uptake, and implementation, but among populations who experience health disparities, especially those that are at increased risk for morbidity and mortality because of the long-standing systemic, systemic health, as well as social inequities and chronic medical conditions. 
And we've also joined a recent announcements that are calling for research to prevent and treat individuals who have already been sickened by COVID-19 in layman's terms, long COVID. But I wanna point out that NINR has really engaged in issues that have come up around the COVID pandemic. We've called for research that focuses on culturally congruent hospice and palliative care across a range of diverse, underserved and under-resourced populations. We have been directing attention to behavioral and social determinants of health. And we have funding opportunity announcements right now uh, that are calling for addressing health literacy and in addressing the continuity of care to promote timely and appropriate transfer to hospice. We also have numerous funding opportunities that really are to stress team science where interdisciplinary collaborations could leverage the resources of our NINR supported palliative care research cooperative group so that we can conduct the kinds of studies that are not only of a national scale, but will have national impact. I love the term that you used, team science. That is uh, something that we are looking at in our research agenda with, with Dr. Coates and her team. Um, how to take and involve that type of research from the community is going to be ever so more important. Thank you, Dr. Miller, for, for bringing that to light. And it's interesting to hear about these areas for, uh, for additional research. So I'm going to take this back to um, Dr. Zink. You had mentioned several times when you were going through about social determinants of health. Dr. Miller, you have as well. We are dealing with, with an extreme crisis right now. And so Dr. Miller, could you share with us what social determinants of health you think have the greatest impact on palliative and end of life quality care? Well, thank you, Julie. Uh, and HPNA may know that NINR, along with many HPNA members, had participated in a National Academy's roundtable table on quality care for people with serious illness. This addressed the need to integrate end-of-life and palliative health care with social services and support. These could include accessible housing, meals and nutrition services, transportation, and caregiving training, among many others. These kinds of services are very important for the seriously ill, who typically are encountering multiple chronic conditions, functional dependency, frailty, and significant financial and family caregiver needs. We know these needs are evident. There have been multiple studies that have demonstrated that racial and ethnic minorities and people with lower socioeconomic status do face structural health system and interpersonal barriers to optimal health care, including hospice and palliative care. The social determinants of health also traverse disparities that exist in quality and equitable access to end of life and palliative care. We know disproportionate advantages occur in access to palliative and hospice care in white populations those that have family caregiving support systems, those with higher socioeconomic status or with stable insurance coverage. So when we, when we speak about the social determinants of health, we, we must be aware of established inequities where poor communication and mistrust 
can lead to suboptimal outcomes. In fact, in one study, hospice was most used among whites, followed by use among Hispanics, but least used by African and Asian Americans. For many of these groups, the mistrust and inequality often due to segregation and discrimination can influence asking for and fully receiving palliative and hospice care. Thank you, Dr. Miller. Dr. Coates, uh, Heather, you've been listening to all of the exciting information that's going on here in the sharing of, of research. And what's your perspective of where things are um, with the aspects of, of hospice and what we're trying to do from HKMA's standpoint? Well, I appreciate everything, Dr. Zank and Dr. Miller. So I totally confirm that and thinking that you know, the holistic aspect of care that Dr. Zink spoke about, I think sits and revolves specifically for all nursing, but in that palliative care and hospice population, you know, that's when someone's maybe physical health, we've lost, you know, the opportunity to bring them to restored health or cure, if you will, but we have the opportunity to impact them in many ways around some of these other things that have been talked about, like their social health, like their family unit, which is incorporated into that social health or perhaps their psychological health. And one of the things that I always you know, speak about is going back to that national consensus guidelines for quality palliative care, which is in its fourth edition. You know, there's eight domains in there. And those eight domains really talk about this holistic approach to a person who may be living and their family, you know, in trying to live fully every day um, in the face of that serious illness. So it really excites me when I hear, um, you know, opportunities for us to look at those social inequalities, to look at the community, community inequalities, because that's where we can really, as nurses, I think have that best impact as Dr. Zank has talked about today. So it's really exciting. This is exciting. I mean, to be able to hear, you know, the all of the, the remarkable work that's being done. And I keep, Dr. Zink, I keep going back to your comment about MD Anderson and being a young nurse in Houston, Texas. And just, I, I and then I think about, okay, who the nurses that are listening to this podcast that are driving in their car and they're going to take care of a patient or a family. And they're listening to this, the impact that it can have on that nurse's role, um, not only in their career, but in their caring for the patients they're doing. And this, this, this is this important work is it, it touches a lot of people everywhere. Um, so I'd like to kind of open it up a bit. Could could you both comment, Dr. Miller and Dr. Zink, um, and Dr. Coates, you as well. Could you both comment on access to care and some of the interventions that have been helpful in addressing this equitable access to care, especially you know for those with serious illness and that we're caring for um, in the palliative care arena? So, Dr. Zink, uh, if we could start with you, and then Dr. Miller, if you could do a follow up from that. Thanks, Julie. Um, we, we know that there are geographic differences in the accessibility of hospice care. 
with, for example, rural areas often having limited access. NIR supported researchers are examining health disparities at the end of life, especially the impact of psychosocial factors and context on end of life care. Studies show that people of color are less likely to receive hospice care. So there are serious issues and um, unfortunately uh, unequal access. And I'll let Dr. Miller uh, share some more specifics. Thank you, Dr. Zink. Cura personalis. How many of you have heard that term? I was in a meeting with non-hospice palliative care individuals who describe palliative care using this Latin phrase that means care of the whole person. And certainly to reiterate Dr. Coates's comments, this is part of what we think of when we think of caring for the whole person. But for individuals with a serious illness, the holistic approach must include also considering local environments and resources, engaging with communities, and developing interventions that are in collaboration with users to ensure inclusive and meaningful outcomes. So I'd like to share with you one intervention that does just that. First, let me give you a little background. African-Americans are disproportionately impacted by the HIV epidemic, particularly in Washington, DC, which has the highest prevalence of HIV infection of any city in the United States. At the same time, African-Americans are less likely to participate in advanced care planning, have advanced directives, or document their chosen surrogate decision maker. But likewise, the rates of advanced directive completion among those living with HIV are also low. So how does one develop an intervention to address multiple and complex population issues around advanced care planning while also engaging a local community with many needs. So I'd like to give you an example from Dr. Maureen Lyons and her team who developed the family-centered advanced care planning model, which is also known as FACE. This program began in the early 1990s using from inception, community-based participatory approaches with African-American adolescents who were living with HIV AIDS in the DC area. These adolescents wanted a voice in their end-of-life care, but had no legal rights and were rarely included in the decision-making process. So Lyons immediately involved the scientific and HIV community, but also those local adolescents who were living with HIV, also local and national focus groups and bereaved parents. From successes in this adolescent program, Lyons extended the intervention to DC African-American adults who also were living with HIV and facing some of the same challenges. And one specific result from this study speaks to the power of engaging at the local level. Controlling for race, the odds of having an advanced directive for the FACE intervention group was approximately seven times greater than those in the control group. And the use of the intervention has spread throughout the entire community. So from inception to implementation, this is just one of many works that demonstrate how NINR supported research can make a real and a lasting difference within communities 
and allow for equitable access to palliative care. That's a that's a remarkable example that you just shared um, that hit home with me having cared for that patient population within that area. Um, thank you for, for sharing that. So Dr. Zeke, in addition to supporting research, what are some of the other palliative and end-of-life care resources that NINR has to offer and make available to our members? Well, ultimately, NINR works to solve health challenges. And when it comes to palliative care and end-of-life caregiving, one of the current challenges is making sure patients and families know that this type of care exists and how to access it. We also know that referring patients, families, and caregivers for palliative and hospice care services can improve patients' quality of life and increase overall satisfaction with care. So to assist or to help, NINR has evidence-based resources for healthcare providers and for families. We have web-based resources, brochures, fact sheets, and videos. NINR resources provide easy to understand information about palliative care and end-of-life caregiving that can improve experiences for patients and families alike. We have information about palliative care in general, pediatric palliative care, and end-of-life caregiving. And our materials are available in English and Spanish. So you can visit our website uh, to learn more about our resources or to download or order free copies of all our materials. And for our listeners, we'll have links to these materials available to you at our podcast corner site so that you can um, be reminded of the remarkable amount of work that's available to us, as well as have quick access to, to review those tools. So this last and final question for our today's podcast corner uh, is actually for all three of you. It would be Dr. Coates, Dr. Zink, and Dr. Miller. And I would like to start with uh, Dr. Zink. What is your vision for NINR and nursing science in the future? NINR has long supported research that works to improve the health and quality of life of patients and communities. Now more than ever, we see the need for more and better knowledge, technology, healthcare, and public health services to improve our nation's health. We at NINR are committed to funding nursing science that will solve the most pressing health problems and the most stubborn health inequities by collaboratively taking nursing science to new levels. We at NINR are currently developing a new strategic plan, and there are several principles that are guiding our process. Uh, those include think boldly and think differently. Think about the end of the beginning or plan for translation. Demonstrate impact and embrace change and opportunity. For those of you listening today, we want to hear from you so you can learn more about our strategic planning process and provide input on our website. Dr. Miller, I'd like to drill that down a little bit more and take the same question. What is your vision for NINR uh, and nursing science specifically to end-of-life hospice or palliative care research? As Dr. Zink outlined, we are in ex at an exciting moment in NINR's history as we look forward to addressing 
many of the critical health needs and social needs of so many of our populations across the United States. And this includes our hospice and palliative care community. And as I stated before, I think that in looking forward, we remain committed to our thinking of palliative care for everyone and everywhere while honoring the kinds of care that take into account values, preferences, and goals for care. And as we look forward, we'll have to think about innovative ways, innovative solutions to address so many of the complexities and equities and barriers that Dr. Zink outlined, and that we can think about how to really achieve full care uh, and access to care for everyone in our palliative and hospice community. So we've gone 30,000 foot, 10,000 foot. So Dr. Coates, looking at this from the, the lens of our members uh, and listeners here from HPNA standpoint, what do you see as far as this ability to incorporate the NINR and nursing science into our research focus for HPNA? Thanks, Julie. And again, thank you, Dr. Zeng and Dr. Miller for your inspiring vision forward for us. You know, you guys have heard me before on previous podcasts, and I would just say it's really important to have engagement. Um, and you've heard multiple ways where we're going to provide for you on the website some of these resources. Again, these resources are available for you to use in your clinical practice, in your educational arenas. And we always, as my role as the director of research, being encouraging you to, you know, jump on board, be part of that team science research team. Um, it is so invigorating to be a palliative care nurse scientist that, um, you know, you've heard me say before, I never thought as a small Southern girl in a town of a thousand growing up that I would be sitting here today as hospice and palliative you know, Nursing Association's Director of Research. So jump on board, be involved, and I would encourage to think about, and we can post how to contribute to that strategic plan that's coming out that National Institute of Nursing Research is doing. You know, all it takes is for you to talk about a clinical story or an educational story to say, these things are important to me in my clinical practice. So then, as a strategic objective planning process, the National Institute of Nursing Research has your story as a person who does person-centered narrative interventions for research, has your stories to think about, you know, what's next? Where do we need to take this field? Because, you know, in, in hospice and palliative nursing, we're all about ad advancing that expert care and serious illness, and it takes everyone's voice to make sure that we continue to do that advancing care. Thank you, Dr. Coates and Dr. Miller and Dr. Zink. And as y'all all have mentioned, it is about the story and, you know, reflect on your story, share your story and, and be part of, of this science and the resources that the NINR has made available and is out there is for, is for all of us to be able to use to help improve quality outcomes in patient care um, and supporting the mission that we have to advance expert care. So Dr. Miller and Dr. Zink, I can't tell you what a privilege it was today to, to have you in our studio and to learn more about 
what's being done at the national level and how that impacts the community level in our caring for patients with serious illness. And both of you um, have done remarkable work and we look forward to the you know, continuing knowledge and awareness of the work that's being done. And we want to thank you for, for joining us today in the studio. Dr. Miller, from your standpoint, and Dr. Zink as well, do you have, would you like to share with us any closing remarks before we conclude our podcast? Well, thanks again for inviting us to be part of the podcast. We certainly look forward to hearing from all your listeners and continuing the conversation moving forward. Um, but most importantly, I want to thank the nurses and providers who are listening for all the work you're doing, your dedication during these most challenging circumstances. Um, so thank you so much. So this will conclude today's episode of HPNA's Podcast Corner. We'd like to thank Dr. Shannon Zink and Dr. Jerry Miller for joining us today and sharing with us all of the information and available resources that we have through the NINR, whose mission is to promote and improve health of individuals, families, and communities. We'd also like to thank Dr. Heather Coates for joining us in co-host capacity, and we appreciate all of you out there for taking the time to listen. Thank you.